You hear that, everybody? He just opened. What? <laughs> what? What? <laughs> what? I can't hear you. It's Steve Austin's birthday, brother. Welcome to getting some color. Is that true? It is. Steve Austin is 55 today. Well, thank God I, I have a beer. Are you having a beer? I'm having a beer. <clears throat> what? I don't know why I'm coughing all of a sudden. Maybe it's because it's this Miller Lite I'm drinking. <laughs> <coughs> Sorry, everybody, but welcome to um, episode seven of Getting Some Color, where um, we talk about wrestling here on uh, com. I'm Joe Dubs. And I'm Zach. And uh, last time you heard us, we were talking about NWA. Into the fire! Pay-per-view. Uh, I guess we can kind of get a little into, you know, some of the power. You watched it. I watched some of it. I saw Marty Scrawl's interview with Stu Bennett, which uh, if people don't know who, who Stu Bennett is, he is Wade Barrett from WWE. Or Bad News Barrett. Or Bad News Barrett. I got some bad news. Great gimmick. <laughs> um, it's interesting what Marty Scrawl said in his little promo. Because he was like, you know, all these fans think they know where I'm going. They said, I love how he didn't say the promotions, by the way. He was like, uh, oh, I'm going to this promotion, I'm going to that promotion. But I, I love pro wrestling. And it's really interesting because, you know, he's been with the elite. And how their style of things is not really pro wrestling. <laughs> not really. It's kind of like the, the antithesis of it. Mm-hmm. So hearing him say that, maybe he just wanted to, you know, do pro wrestling, actual pro wrestling. That's possible. I also like the little pot shots he took at like how it's like, there's like a bunch of world titles now and they're never on the main event. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, and, wait, and then I almost called him Barrett. Stu, Stu's like, yeah, what happened? Like, it's like, I know, like, guys, what happened? <laughs> mm-hmm. And I kind of hope that, uh, the TV title is kind of like the last title they introduced in NWA. I don't really think they have any other ones that I know of. Mm-hmm. And I love how uh, both Stu and Marty Scroll were like, this is the real world heavyweight champion. The 10 pounds of gold. Sweet Charlotte. Mm-hmm. So... And then there was, like, some interesting thing with uh, Tim Storm and fucking uh, Nick Aldis. Was that a full-on heel now, Nick Aldis? I think so. Like, basically, it seemed like, like, earlier in the show, Nick Aldis cut a promo talking about how he was going to put a team together because it was clear he couldn't depend on Camille anymore. Stable. Mm-hmm. He's forming a stable. And that was, at the end of the show, that was made pretty evident. <laughs> Yeah, so, so we got another we got another stable now. Yeah, so he got the wild cards with him and they beat up Tim Storm. And Camille helped beat up Tim Storm too. <laughs> so and then uh, another thing with our national uh, championship uh belt 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 you hear that everybody? Belt. <laughs> I love that promo. That was great. <laughs> What is he called? Shooter Stevens now? Shooter Stevens. He looks directly at the camera and says belt, brother. He doesn't <laughs> care. I, I'm i not going to lie. I kind of love his gimmick now where he's just like 
he turned the fucking national belt into like a karate belt. <laughs> yeah, like it's kind of goofy, but like honestly, he's he's just so damn entertaining. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I get that's the only thing I saw. I mean, is there anything else that were like kind of surprising? Uh, uh, yeah, they introduced a tournament for the television championship. Sweet. And there, there's a pretty big tournament. This weird guy, I've never heard of him before. His name's Zicky Dice is like in the tournament and they, they kind of put him over a little bit and he's weird. I don't know what his deal is, but he's, he keeps saying, um, out outlandish. Like his name is outlandish Zicky Dice, but he, he just, his gimmick is, I guess he goes outlandish and he gets like hit in the face or something. <laughs> like, that's all there is to the guy so far that I could tell. He looks like he the eighties threw him up though. That's what he looks like. <laughs> well, that's a good thing for NWA, in my opinion. Yeah. It kind of fits in, yeah. But uh there's some pretty big names in this tournament. Uh Ricky Starks is in it, uh Colt Cabana, uh Nick Aldis is in it. He entered himself in it. What a heel. Yeah, I know. And he's like, Well, he said nobody else can beat me for this championship, so I want another one. <laughs> <laughs> it's like damn, asshole. <laughs> I guess maybe who who do you think would go over? Do you think it would be Ricky Stark? I, I no, I think he's he's coming up. I and I don't want to give Colt Cabana another title because he just had the national title. I don't. Yeah, I don't know what Colt Cabana is doing because supposedly his Ring of Honor deal literally just expired, mm-hmm. and like he just lost the national title, so he might be on the way out. I can kind of see him going to AEW possibly. Uh, I hope with a better gimmick, though. Because I, I'm not into this, like, boom, boom, cabana stuff. I, that's just him. That that's I guess that's him. I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think of who else is in this tournament that's really got a, a real shot at it. The question mark's in it. Oh, my God. If, if he gets it. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I don't I don't think he'll get it, but I, I wouldn't discount it totally. I think Ricky Starks might have a solid shot at it. But I feel like a heel's going to get it. I don't know. I could even maybe see them giving it to Nick Aldis. Trevor Murdoch's not in it? Yeah, Murdoch's in it. The the um, Dawson's, both the Dawson's are in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom Latimer's in it. Surprise. Oh, no, because Ken Anderson and Eli Drake are having a, like, a feud going on. Yeah, I feel like there's somebody I'm forgetting that, that's in it. How does it how does it feel to have a wrestling promotion where you don't have to put every fucking wrestler in a tournament? You could have like an Eli Drake versus Ken uh uh Ken Anderson having a fucking feud and don't have to be put into like this main event kind of thing. Yeah, it, it, I'm cool with it. Yeah, because in, in in a way it kind of furthered the overarching storyline cuz Eli Drake said in a promo before the match. He's like Hey, why was I excluded from this television title tournament? Makes you think. Mm-hmm. It's just that little line there, you know? Yeah, so, I mean, NWA is getting good. And people were, like, even I had my doubts, too, because after the whole Cornette thing that happened, I was like, I don't know if things could recover. But I'm pretty surprised on how the quick turnaround happened with Stu Bennett. I mean, bringing Marty Scroll was a good idea because 
all those doubters and shit and people being like, well, fuck NWA because they hired a racist and all that stuff. Now you got Marty Skrull in there. <laughs> so Don't forget about him. I honestly think a lot of people already have. Uh, I think I think all the people who got mad that they, they let him go have already moved on or forgot about it. I don't think about Marty Skrull. I'm like, what? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm talking about Cornette. And, and Cornette's fine with it. He's he's like, uh, apparently I overshadow everything anyway. That's what everybody was saying that complained about me being there. So fine, I'm gone. I don't overshadow anything anymore. <laughs> I got a question for you. Do you okay. think that Cornette should work in any promotion um, that is kind of catering to SJW backlash? <laughs> no, he won't do it out of principle. Because it's like when you like when what happened happened to him, his first reaction is usually, well, then fuck you. I'm out of here because it's kind of like, well, you didn't back me up when I needed help and you just fucking left me to out in the wind. Which honestly, I I don't really that's the kind of rules I live my life by, too. I I remember who fucking sticks your neck out for me and shit. Yeah. And I kept on thinking because I know he doesn't have a lot of money so he can't kind of make his own i'm not saying to make like a promotion that was going to compete against AEW or nwa and all that stuff but he should create like a kind of promotion like an indie promotion that is pro wrestling not indie circuit shit but like something that he can control and then whatever backlash happens he could just say fuck you i own this you know what i mean well, I think he's he's done doing that stuff because he kind of already did that twice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he made Smoky Mountain Wrestling and it just died and it probably took years off of his life, he'll tell you. <laughs> and he kind of had that in OVW. I mean, he was partnered with Danny Davis, but you know he was booking it and he ran a good deal of it himself. And that's when WWE were like fucking screwing him over, right? Yeah, that's when John Laurinaitis came in and started fucking with OVW and everything. What an, but, a- what an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> oh, since we're talking about Cornette, do you want to announce the thing that you sent me this afternoon about, you know, Vince Russo? <laughs> yeah. So I, one of the news sites I kind of follow on Facebook posted a tweet from Vince Russo where he said, let me pull that up real quick so I don't misquote it. I don't want to misrepresent Vince Russo. (laughs) Uh, Here it is. It says, Vince Russo says, I'm almost 59. I'm a grandfather. I'm not a fan of pro wrestling. (laughs) Haven't been for years. Why are you emailing me, taking shots at me from two decades ago? Seriously, do you not have anything better to do with your life? Get a purpose, man. Get Have some meaning in your life. And I, I sent this to, to Dubs this morning, and I'm like, he said it. He finally admitted it. <laughs> He's not a fan of pro wrestling. It's out. When did this tweet come out? I, I There's no timestamp to it, so maybe over the weekend or something. Let mm-hmm. me check. He fucking tweets a lot. He doesn't have anything else to do. Nobody will fucking hire him. Because he's got that brand, bro. He's on fucking Twitch getting 20 viewers, bro. He's got the brand, the brand of fucking stay away from me if you want your company to survive. (laughs) Yeah, another asshole that fucking ruined wrestling. Yeah. 
I don't know. I thought that was funny. This is just like, oh, well, this this affirms everything you had ever thought about him. That was bad. <laughs> yeah, and I, I guess TLC happened, and yeah, it happened. That's it. <laughs> yeah, the reception for the show has been pretty meh. Apparently, the main event suffered uh, some pretty bad hitches in it because Kyrie Sane got injured in the match. There was one thing that kind of like I don't know if Charlotte knew because like this was after clearly being concussed, uh, Kyrie Sane or Kyrie Sane I should say. Um, so Charlotte goes for like the spear, and because Kyrie Sane is like can't walk, like she took the spear shitty, and you can see Charlotte get pissed off and like slap her in the head. It was weird. Yeah. There was also a spot where she tried to powerbomb her, and she was like, Kyrie was like limp. Like, she's she's messed up. And it, I'm surprised she didn't figure out that she was messed up. Like, it was pretty obvious. <laughs> like, oh, Becky Lynch and, caught it, I heard. And then, and like, they started working on Asuka more because, I, you know, Asuka is more into that kind of shit. Oscar, her. her and Oscar knew, I think, and there was there's even footage of Becky rolling Kyrie under the ring to hide her. <laughs> She's like, get under here, just <laughs> like, and then that just took her out of the match. Basically, just trying to take care of her because apparently she was one of the only ones that figured out she was messed up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then uh, the Miz and Bray Wyatt, and not the Fiend. Just Bray Wyatt faced the Miz, and then Daniel Bryan came out all shaven, just like he was uh, when Michael Cole used to call him a nerd. Daniel Bryan took the nine-year challenge. Hmm. <laughs> he looks the same, and I guess the Miz should feel insulted because Bray Wyatt thought he's not even good enough to face the Fiend. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so what's that say about him? I, you brought up a good point on Messenger that, you know, Seth Rollins got defeated by The Fiend and he's now a heel and Daniel Bryan, I guess, was a heel and now he's a face because of um, The Fiend, you know, defeated him. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if they're doing a storyline where Bray Wyatt is, like, manipulating the roster to go back what it used to be. You know what I mean? <laughs> He's, like, making people revert back to, like, previous forms. Finn Balor also, he claims, oh, the Prince is back, brother, and he's back in NXT. He went back to where he was used the best. Mm-hmm. So, eh? Eh? <laughs> I mean, come on, WWE. We already have two other promotions that have been listening to our show. <laughs> I think that would honestly be, like, a great story. It'd be, like, super meta and weird, mm-hmm. but, like, People, I think, could appreciate it. I don't know. I mean, there's always going to be people that are just going to be bitching about it, but... People bitch about everything. But it would be interesting because, you know, Undertaker was just, you know, this evil demonic thing. Mm -hmm. And it worked. Bray Wyatt's kind of like that, but, like, if you have him manipulate things in the universe... I hate calling it the universe, but that's... I hate that word, too. But, like, if he's manipulating things, not not enough to be like, I control you like a puppet, but, like, enough to be like, we're time traveling in a way, without time traveling. The body itself is reverting back to what it used to be. He's making people remember mm-hmm. their former selves. 
And I think it would be interesting to have old feuds come back. You know what I mean? Yeah, be cool. How cool would it be if he could, like, assault the Undertaker as the Fiend and the Undertaker could, like, de-age 20 years? <laughs> Holy shit. What if he defeats the Undertaker and he goes back to being the American Badass? <laughs> no, well, I, mean, I don't hate that gimmick. A lot of people fucking hate it, hate that period of time for him, but, I mean, it was it was different. I liked it. I mean, it was probably one of his prime years, I would say, because he had the titles and shit during that time. People like to talk shit about it now, but he was over as fuck back then. Like anybody, anybody who's like, it sucked, is like, just they're just being assholes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess we'll see what happens in that. SmackDown and Raw just have been terrible. This, mm. Apparently Bobby Lashley's uh, uh, kayfabe fucking uh, engaged Lana. Joy. So, I guess it's going to be slow until Royal Rumble. And, uh... We'll make our predictions on who's going to win the Royal Rumble when we get closer to it, since we're in December. Yeah, because right now, I don't even... I, they don't even fucking know, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is what I like to call the uh, the autopilot time for WWE. Tr- traditionally, it has always been this way. For a long time, as far back as I can remember. I Excuse will... me. A- after Survivor Series, they just kind of... They just kind of, like, autopilot until January. And then we get into, uh, you know, WrestleMania, Road to WrestleMania, and that gets a little interesting, too, so. I was talking with my buddy at work, actually, about that, about how, like, TLC was kind of meh, and it's usually always meh. Like, something interesting will happen at it once in a while, or there will be a good match once in a while, Mm -hmm. but it's like... Do you think they should still run a December pay-per-view at this point? Especially when they know they're just like, well, we made it past Survivor Series. <laughs> I think if they want to keep up with the WWE Network, have like those fun pay-per-views that don't really count as the main thing. You know what I mean? Keep it like a house show kind of thing. Do it in your house. Yeah, just, just make every month that doesn't have a pay-per-view in your house. Bring in your house back. Mm-hmm. I want them in my house. <laughs> um, anything else that we should talk about? Uh, no. There's, to, to my knowledge, there really isn't any other news to talk about. Yeah, no, nothing really with AEW. Um, they signed a couple of women. They signed Swole and they signed the alien chick. I forgot her name. Uh, Chris Statlander. Mm-hmm. Which is annoying me, by the way, because her meme now on Twitter is she eats foods in weird ways because she's alien-like and all that stuff. And it, uh, it's not on the AEW Twitter; it's on her personal Twitter. But she ate like a banana sideways, like eating it like corn on the cob, and then she ate a pizza backwards, like from the bottom of the pizza towards the cheese and stuff. And I was like, what? Yeah, and I was like, you're weird, but I guess you're good in the ring, so I guess that balances out. You're weird, but you're not NWA commercial weird. And I don't. (laughs) And I'm sorry, Adam Cole, but your fucking girlfriend needs a lot of work in wrestling. 
hey, it's like I said, she's still pretty, pretty inexperienced. So I don't know. She's going to be like a, a, a long-term project. I think build her up. Yeah, Cause she's very slow. Um, I watched AEW Dark the other day, and she started off on commentating really well in the beginning with Excalibur. Like, they started having conversation, and then she started getting, like, into robot mode. So she, she definitely doesn't have the promo skills. Uh, I hate that they're doing this meme where she's, like, because she did it in WWE <laughs> when Adam Cole got fucked up in War Games. The Britt Baker but, challenge. Yeah, like, now, because... WWE took a picture of her. They're trying to capitalize by doing it on their TV now with the whole surprise phase of like, oh my god, I hope she's okay or he's okay. And I, I, I mean, there they are in competition now. I guess with NXT because the other the other week last week was uh, even seven seventy five thousand. I think it was viewers. Yeah, they, they had the same numbers. I wonder if it's just the same people, just with two TVs going at the same time. <laughs> I don't know about that, but <laughs> it's interesting, though. It definitely looks like uh, ever since the Survivor Series stuff happened, that NXT's gotten kind of a permanent viewership boost, mm. which is encouraging. Yeah, they just need to um, up their roster, I guess. <laughs> It, it, it's really boring seeing the Young Bucks every week and and Co- as much as I like Cody, just like seeing him come out to his really, really long intro because he has to make it epic every fucking two, uh, Wednesday. And he even makes a joke about it. <laughs> like, yeah, they, they need more people because it, they'll run into the same problem that like the WWE, like, main roster shows if you want to call them that run into where they keep using the same people over and over mm-hmm. and they have a huge deep talent pool on each show not counting just company wide mm-hmm. somehow they always fall into the same trap of using the same people all the time for months and months on end and that's what causes people to turn on performers sometimes it's because they're overexposed yeah that's why you got to make Jericho. It, they're literally using Jericho every week because he's probably one of the only reasons that people tune in just to hear what he says and does. They kind of need him. Unfortunately, they're like in a spot where they, they need him. And if he wasn't there for like a week, it would be very noticeable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh my God, where's Jericho? I don't know. Well, I'm going to watch NXT. That's <laughs> <laughs> probably what will happen. Probably, but hopefully, you know, with the news of Killer Cross being a free agent, hopefully AEW wakes up and spends a checkbook on him to get him. And that money, brother, there's, there's supposedly a bunch of people getting their contract comes to an end next month or like in early spring and all that. Time to start paying attention. And I think it's pretty evident that wrestlers know that if you're going to go to WWE, you don't even know if you're going to wrestle. They, they just might just get you just to keep you away from AEW or NWA. Yeah. Hey, yeah, there's another one too. Don't go to AEW. Maybe you don't want to go there and be made a fool of or do video game wrestling. Maybe you <laughs> want to do real wrestling, brother. Hey, come to NWA. <laughs>
Fucking hire us, NWA. <laughs> Come on, brother. Give, give us a job, brother. We'll be the official podcast of NWA. <laughs> I'd be fine with that. Yeah, it's fucking good wrestling every week. But other than that, news has been really, really slow. Um, because we're on Wednesday, we're doing it Wednesday night, so both NXT and AEW are happening as we speak right now, as we record this. Mm-hmm. So maybe next week we'll have something to talk about if something interesting came out of that. But yeah. uh, I think we're ready to get into our special segment that is probably going to take us a while to get through, and that is the decade of the 10s. <laughs> the, two, the 2010s. Yeah. I think we agreed this is like something we'd have to do in multiple parts. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is going to be like a multi-part series, I guess. Yeah, so don't be worried that we're going to be like, oh, we're going to spend like a month and a half getting through the decade. We're, we're going to try to space it out a little bit, but uh, I know we're not going to talk too much about stuff. I, I Right in the CM Punk era, I think we'll talk a lot because a lot of shit did happen during that time. A lot of stuff happened in 2011. Mm-hmm. But, uh... I guess we'll start it off with you because this was your project that you uh, recommended and I agreed to, to help out. Yeah, we're going to cover tonight, I think 2010, maybe 2011, depends on how fast this goes. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. It's 2010, 2011, question mark. Mm-hmm. Not the Mongrovian karate, karate expert. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Got January 4th, the very beginning of the year. Do you remember what happened the very beginning of the year of 2010? Uh, January 4th on my list, I have New Japan uh, Wrestle Kingdom. Well, do do you remember what happened in terms of WWE and TNA in American wrestling? What was like the biggest thing that happened? Oh, dude, I totally forgot. You got to refresh my memory. (laughs) That's the whole point of this. (laughs) TNA started a new Monday Night War, brother. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So, in December of 2009, Spike made an announcement that TNA was going to have a more permanent Monday Night time slot. Apparently, they they did a couple tests. Like, sometimes Impact was on Monday Night. I kind of forgot about that until I was reading this. And they hired some help to help to you know, boost them in this new war effort, including Hulk Hogan, Eric Bischoff, the Nasty Boys, and Bubba the Love Sponge. (laughs) What? Yeah. You know who Bubba the Love Sponge is, right? No. (laughs) Nobody did. (laughs) He was like one of those uh, talk host, serious XM shock jock guys that was trying to horn in on that shit like way after Howard Stern did it. And um apparently he's huge buddies with Hulk Hogan or something. That's that's how he got the TNA impact job is because well brother I know a guy brother he's he's pretty controversial. Bubble love sponge. And that's how he got into impact. He's I don't I'm not even sure what his official like job title capacity was. I guess he was just on air talent. And this was during a time when uh, Bischoff and Hulk Hogan were running at TNA, correct? 
Yeah, Bischoff and Hogan had like some creative power in in there, and uh, they made some interesting decisions. Like they got rid of the six sided ring. Uh, they said it it felt bush league. I think that's what Hogan said. Uh, now whether or not you agree with that, I don't know. To me, I've heard that some people that worked in that ring really liked it, and some people really hated it. I mean, I think a lot of people that probably hated it were the old school wrestlers and stuff. But that was the one thing that I remember about TNA was that six right sided ring because it was so unique to their brand. And yeah. And it's just like, why would you take that away and make it generic and like every other promotion? Yeah, like that. that's... That was the general consensus back then, I remember, is most people thought, why would you get rid of that? That's one of the things that makes TNA unique. And, like, that's really important, especially nowadays, is what sets your promotion apart from the others. Mm -hmm. There's one really simple thing right there when you turn the TV on that already sets it apart. Um, yeah, like, after that, like... On this night, this was like the big night, and like I kind of flipped back and forth between Raw and Impact just to see what they were doing, and it was like underwhelming, really. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there was a bunch of surprise appearances at the time, like Jeff Hardy had just come back to TNA again, and it was really weird what happened too. They had like a, a what? Do you remember the name of the match where like the X Division would be in a cage, and there was like a big X in the middle, and they had to like shimmy across the x to get the giant red x in the ring oh the x division champion well, they, they had a name that match had a name but i can't remember it right now well, i remember I, ultimate I mean, x i think is what it was yeah i remember that uh they used like cheap ass uh clips for the x and stuff and there was one match where the x fell off the clip clip a uh, clip because it was too cheap <laughs> So they had to pause the match. I'm starting to actually, I think it's coming back to me. I don't think it was an ultimate X match, but it was like this weird match with had like a weird domed cage. And you had to like climb up and out of the top of the dome. And like low key was the one that was supposed to win that match. But like at the end of it, he was so blown up and tired. He couldn't actually make the climb. <laughs> he was like kind of stuck up there. And then like the lights went out or some shit for a minute. And then Jeff Hardy was just sitting up there on the cage. He's like, Jeff Hardy's in the impact zone. He's just sitting up there. Low key's like still struggling to get out. And then it, the segment ended. And I was just like, what? <laughs> really? <laughs> okay. Uh, Ric Flair showed up, which was kind of a big deal at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, he formed that faction fortune. I think that's really like the biggest thing that happened out of that. Besides he wrestled Mick Foley again. Both of them wrestled each other again. What do you think? Why did you think that uh, Ric Flair and Mick Foley and them, and even Booker T, I believe, went to TNA at some point? Uh, Booker, uh, I don't really know what the deal was with Booker. Um, as far as I know, I don't think his WWE run, like when he went away for a few years, I don't think it really ended on bad terms or anything. Mm -hmm. It might have been something like he was just tired and like, he just wanted to work less dates and maybe they didn't want to make that kind of deal with him or something. And I've, I've been looking at the, uh, pay-per-views on the list for everything. And TNA is always in Orlando. So 
Yeah, they had that Orlando deal at Universal Studios, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sean Waltman and Scott Hall showed up too. Well, that that's a given because of Bischoff. <laughs> yeah, this episode garnered like Impact's best ratings ever, though. And I think it was like one point four or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then, but. <laughs> All of it was for naught because WWE totally crushed them that same night because this happened. <laughs> Bret Hart returned to WWE TV that same night on the opening segment. <laughs> like, it was his first appearance on WWE TV in, like, 13 years. Was that the uh, the build-up for where Bret Hart was going to face uh, Vince McMahon? Uh, yeah, that was the start of it. Okay. Like... Uh, he, they, he buried the hatchet with Sean and like, you know, then the thing happened with Vince at the end of the show, mm-hmm. which was cool. I liked the moment with him and Sean. I thought that was cool. Um, was, oh, that, go ahead. was that the, was it actual, you know, forgiving him or was that kayfabe? Because I remember the interview with JR, remember that the series that they had on the WWE network where they kind of, that to me that that was the time where they forgave each other and everything. I think that they spoke earlier. What, what I remember hearing both of them say they spoke earlier that night or something mm-hmm. before the show. And they kind of like, like, are we cool? Yeah, we're cool. And then I think over time they gradually talked to each other more and smoothed it out for real. That, you know? That's good. Yeah, it's, that's good. Cause that should happen a long time ago. There's, Extenuating circumstances, etc. Uh, let me see if I'm forgetting anything here. Oh yeah, RVD came back to TNA again. <laughs> uh, a couple of side notes. Uh, Jeff Hardy and Rob Van Dam were in uh, New Japan for a couple of years too in 2010. I didn't know that actually. Yeah, they did like one-off things. Obviously, it was because of money. And probably because they don't have a strict drug thing like the United States does. And I, I thought it was funny that I saw Jeff Hardy and uh, Rob Van Dam on the, uh, in New Japan. <laughs> I was probably like, they, they probably got caught in a wellness check on WWE or something like that. Yeah, probably. Now, the when the Monday Night War officially ended <laughs> in 2010 was like May 3rd. Mm-hmm. That was like the first day they went back to their Thursday time slot because, like, uh, I think the March 29th episode dipped below a 1.0, and it was like that triggered it pretty much from Spike. They're like, "Okay, this isn't working. You guys aren't holding ratings." <laughs> and that was it. And it was like, well, they had their shot, and they continue to be incompetent and mess it up. Well, I'll say this about Bishop. I think if Bishop was alone on like creative stuff or Maybe if they had other people to help him out besides Hulk Hogan. Because I believe Hulk Hogan, every time he's with Bishop, bad things happen. The other really bad part of that equation was Vince Russo was still there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was there for a while. That's why you had the the reverse fucking Royal Rumble. and The reverse Battle Royal. You throw the guy in the ring or some shit. And then, like, the Feaster Fired match where, like, you just... I think it's, like, a big... 
I, I think it was like six or eight people were in this match. And if you like pin or submit somebody, you get to open a box. <laughs> and then like in the box, it could be like anything. It could be like a bonus check. It could be a title shot. It could be a title. It could be a spider. It could be a, a pink slip and you get fired. <laughs> see, I could totally see like Vince Russo playing a video game and going back to the boardroom in TNA be like, bro, bro, I just played this fucking great game, bro. And when I kill an enemy, I get loot. And it's it could either be bad or it could be good, bro. Let's let's do that in the ring, bro. I don't know if Vince Russo plays video games, but You never know. I, I, yeah, it's true. I don't know if that guy I, I almost said bro again. I was about you to said say, bro, you're you... starting to slip into Vince Russo territory. <laughs> um to tie that off real quick, uh going back to the Brett angle yeah that's that same night they started the the feud there with mcmahon mcmahon kicked brett in the balls and mm-hmm. you you deserve to be screwed and all that shit and that went to wrestlemania parts of that feud was cool like when they did the call back to like when brett got pissed and he like destroyed all the the ringside equipment they did that again it was kind of surreal to see mm-hmm. and some of the promos were good, but man, the the match at WrestleMania was like, oh. <laughs> you could definitely tell that whatever how many strokes uh, Bret Hart was on, like it, he can't wrestle anymore. He had the one stroke, and it made it to where like he pretty much couldn't take bumps anymore, like mm-hmm. no more blows to the head. So it kind of limited him. I appreciate him trying to put that effort in. He wanted to do something special. Mm-hmm. But yeah, most people thought like, yeah, he that probably shouldn't have happened. Was that the cheesy when the whole Brett, uh, the Hart family was around the ring? Yeah, the whole Hart family was there, and they watched him submit Vince, and then they all took turns stomping the shit out of him or something. <laughs> so it was like the this puts the fine. We're we're at peace now. The Hearts and the McMahons are finally at peace. Yeah, I, I remember the promo. I believe. Stone Cold was there, like, to moderate it. and I think so. And I think uh, Bret Hart was, like, in a cast or something. And uh, Vince was like, yeah, I'll have a match with you. You're, net, you're handicapped. And, he, like, uh, the uh, the cast, he took up the cast and put it on the, the table. And then Vince McMahon, you know, his surprise shock face. And then... <laughs> yeah. And he gets beat up. Uh yeah, like I said, some parts of it were kind of cool, and then but the the match itself was kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess we could like steer off a little bit into indie world, uh, New Japan. Have you ever heard of the Apollo Fifty Five tag team? No. Well, Prince Devitt and Rasuke Taguchi. Uh, formed a team and that's when prince devitt was you know pre-asshole where he was just like this irish kid who you know is really really good at wrestling if anybody who who doesn't know prince devitt it's fucking finn balor and all you fuckers who say finn balor could go fucking suck a dick so this was actually a little bit of new japan i did watch it was like before uh prince devitt was in like before he formed the bullet club i guess Mm mm-hmm uh, I, I kept hearing about him on the internet and I thought he looked kind of weird. So I decided to watch a match. I was like, this guy's like really good. 
Yeah, his pre-Bullet Club thing was like Finn Balor WWE when he was losing, but he was winning in New Japan. <laughs> like, he had that whole, you know, I'm Irish and I can beat you up. And then, like... <laughs> And and then when he gets to like Bullet Club, he's like, "Oh fucking Irish, I'm gonna fucking kill you, you fucker." <laughs> that was. <laughs> he went gangs of New York on him. <laughs> yeah. So like, uh, Taguchi was pretty good. He was another. The thing with a lot of Japanese wrestlers, it's either a you're a high flyer or b you're a fucking strong style. They and... got technical wrestlers too, don't they? Yeah, I they, thought they got some. I believe like uh, Suzuki. Suzuki is kind of strong style. Um, a lot of what was it Okada? Another Okada's another. Sh- he he went through a lot of phases. Okada, and um, there was a Okada was part of chaos. There was a lot. There's a lot of stables in New Japan, which I kind of really like about it because you had chaos. Then you had uh, you know teams like Apollo Fifty Five almost had a stable. They they added another guy. I totally forgot, I forgot his name. Uh, I think M- Machine Gun Carl Anderson came in 2010. He might be near the tail end. Uh, but if anybody who doesn't know Carl Anderson, he's in the, the OC now with uh, Luke Gallows and uh, AJ Styles. And, Original uh, club. Yes. Well, yeah. That's what they call themselves. They just don't say it anymore. It, it, it kind of defeats the purpose a little bit because Prince Devitt is the original club, if you think about it. It's true. They did have like that little moment uh, on NXT last month. Mm-hmm. So it was like he gave them their blessing or some shit. That's the way I look at it. It's like right here. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking at the event of uh, Wrestle Kingdom uh, 4, and Apollo 55 beat... The uh, Averno and Ultimate Guerrero. I don't think any relationship to the Guerreros at all. I don't think so. I've never heard of them. Uh, another match in here. Um, this was a stable match. It was Chaos, who was defeated by Nakahashi, Chono, uh, Chuznu, and Terry Funk. <laughs> <laughs> fuck terry fuck was still wrestling in 2010 yeah and they defeat chaos damn yeah so that was pretty cool terry fuck is crazy yeah this was like a chaos was pretty crazy so the other group that was you know going against chaos they were like we got this one crazy guy and fucking terry funk came out yeah he's, yeah he's crazy <laughs> And then Chaos was like, oh my god, it's fucking Terry Funk. <laughs> Run for your lives. And then, then the announcer was like, oversight, like, Terry Funk! Terry Funk! What's great about New Japan a little bit, I mean, it's kind of different than, you know, American. They sit on their hands, but like when good shit happens, you can definitely tell them what they enjoy and what they just think it's mild. <laughs> yeah, that's how the Jap- Japanese audience is. They're usually really quiet, but like when something really hype happens, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. or when it's, the business picks up, they're like, yeah, they get into it. Mm-hmm. And uh, another thing with Wrestle Kingdom that happened, uh, Shinsuke Nakamura defeated Yoshiro Tektakamiyama. 
and that was a 15 minute and 51 second match that was really brutal and um shinsuke was pretty big in the early uh, 2010s i mean he's big now but uh he was a world champion in new japan obviously because that's his fucking hometown fucking uh-huh. tokyo yeah uh, another thing that happened i guess before we you know go back into the mainstream a little bit uh roh one thing i want to bring up do you remember el generico i do so el generico if you're not familiar with it, him i'm talking to the our fans he is Sami Zayn, but he was in like a luchador mask what was really funny about his gimmick was because how weird he was he was like this luchador guy and he you would think he was like a joke, but him and Kevin Steen, and Kevin Steen is Kevin Owens, uh, him and uh, Kevin became a tag team. And they were pretty good. Just like how they, they kind of did the same uh, feud that they did in NXT where, you know, Kevin Owens came and he teamed up with uh, Sami Zayn for a little bit. And then that one night where Sami Zayn won, I think it was... Did he win the world title, Sami Zayn? Yeah, he won the NXT title off uh, Neville. Yeah. And then, like, Kevin Owens came out to congratulate him, and then he whipped his ass. Mm-hmm. He, <laughs> he fucking fucked him up and shit. But yeah. uh, that was pretty much the feud that happened in ROH. But imagine the feud that happened in NXT and part of WWE main show uh, turned up to, like, 20 because ROH because they had to compete with WWE because I think they had a TV deal at that time, if I'm correct. They did. They were like on uh, HDNet, I think, and then they got on the Sinclair Network, mm-hmm. which kind of put them on like some Fox affiliates and stuff. And this is when Cornette started working for ROH, if I'm correct. Yeah, he left TNA in like 2009, and then like shortly after, like Kerry Silken, the guy who was like uh, – He's one of the head guys of Ring of Honor or something. Asked him to come in and help him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I watch a bunch of uh, Kevin Steen versus El Generico matches. Dude, they're fucking brutal. There was one point where uh, Kevin Steen takes El Generico's blood through his mask and licks it. What? Uh, no. Dude, it, I, I mean, I bet you he probably like made it look like he did it but when he did it everybody called him a sick fuck that's pretty sick that's gross Mm -hmm. but (laughs) what's great about kevin and uh i'm gonna call him sammy i don't want to call him generico everybody knows him as sammy now yeah so like with kevin and and, uh sammy even though they had a lot of hardcore matches and a lot of spots and stuff but they still wrestled through that it's not like spot to spot to spot to spot like they actually fucking battled and they showed a lot of motion through their their matches and stuff i remember what's up oh go ahead no you go ahead no i said i remember and i i'm sorry if i'm jumping around but like in december uh final battle was the pay-per-view in new york city and dude kevin steen took like one of those steel barricades and threw at fucking sammy's face Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. 
It's I, I I recommend you to go on YouTube after tonight or maybe whenever you're free to watch the match. It's really good. I've seen a few clips of their matches together mm-hmm. from from that time, and yeah, they were, did some pretty crazy stuff. But I'm pretty sure that's like what got them noticed was the feud they had with each other. Mm-hmm. I don't. I'm not sure how much. Owens has changed versus back then. It doesn't seem like too much. Like I, I don't know if his promos are any good or anything back then. He had uh, this one guy, uh, Corona, whatever his fucking name is. Hold on, let me see if I could find it. But he had like a a manager, kind of like a Paul Heyman. Oh, oh man, I know who you're talking about. I can't remember a dude's name right now. I'm trying to find it right now, but it starts with a C. Corona, I think. Oh no! It's Hold on, I'm, I'm... man. It's on the tip of my tongue. I I used to know this guy's name. I'm looking this for it. I'm looking for it. Steve Carino. 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 Steve Carino. Yeah. Yeah, he used to be like a wrestler at ECW. Yeah, and he was also. He, I think he's a WWE coach. I think now. Everybody. Yeah, he works at the Performance Center now. Yeah, but he was like the mouthpiece for Kevin uh, Steen. He'd be like, uh, Del Generico, you think you're cool and stuff? Well, you're going to be dead tonight. And then fucking Kevin Steen comes out. <laughs> I thought it was Truth Martini. That's who I was trying to remember. Because Truth Martini is a guy that used to be a wrestler and became a manager too. And he had like a weird name like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, I was, I, I was going to say, I don't really know much about uh, Steen Owens' older days. But I know Sammy, his gimmick as Generico was he was pretty much mute. Mm-hmm. he didn't cut any promos and it was really interesting to me like after i learned that and i was watching like nxt when it just started to actually be on the wwe network mm-hmm. he would cut really good promos and he could be like really good at selling and using his facial expressions and i thought that was really good crazy considering he was like under a mask the whole time yeah there was one uh part in one of the matches i watched where kevin steen is like bleeding like hell and because he ruined El Generico's mask, like it was partly ripped and stuff. Like, uh, you remember the movie Spider Man? The, the old one is the Raimi Spider Man, where half of the mask is like ripped apart. That was kind of like Generico's mask. It was just like that. And uh, Kevin Steen takes out another Generico mask and tries to hand it to him like a friend. And then Generico just takes a steel chair to his fucking face. <laughs> it's like, Damn. <laughs> was badass but kind of quick mentions here before we go back to mainstream Uh, do you know who tyler black is seth rollins yeah he made his debut on ring of honor and uh he had a feud with davy richards Mm, yeah i've heard a lot about that yeah and if i could davy richards reminds me of like a trying to think of a uh, Evan Bourne meets Chris Benoit. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. Just how his build was and uh, his promos were like, I, you know, I'll fucking beat you up and all that stuff. Uh, Seth Rollins, on the other hand, he played like this skater boy punk dude. And he wore like these skater shirts and he wore a stupid skater hat. Um, there was one... <laughs> There was one promo where Davey Richards was like, just name your price. And, 
you know, I'll pay whatever money you want to face me right now. And Cornette looks at <laughs> fucking uh, Tyler Black, and, and like Tyler Black goes nuts. He's like, "I'll fucking fight you for free." <laughs> <laughs> and you can just see Cornette's face going, "What? <laughs> what? Yeah, I can see it. Yeah." Yeah, so that happened. Uh, that match was actually like a, you can't wrestle in ROH anymore, but somehow in wrestling land, it's never your last. Hey, it's like comics, man. Mm-hmm. Because eventually Tyler Black becomes the uh, world heavyweight champion. He, he defeats Dave Rich- Davey Richards, and uh, uh, Tyler Black becomes this heel character, and this was like near the end where of 2010 because I think WWE was scouting him. Yeah. And there was a promo which Cornette was the interviewer and Tyler Black's like, I, you know, I'm getting a bunch of, you know, deals from other promotions here in North America. He's like, maybe I'll just bring my ROH title into the other promotions. And then Cornette's like, no, you can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it would... You know, Seth Rollins is Seth Rollins. He did do the same moveset that he did in ROH that he does in WWE now. So it's like nothing really changed besides maybe his promo skills are a little better than, you know, being a skater boy fucking idiot. (laughs) But his wrestling was pretty good in ROH. Yeah, Cornette spoke at length, like on his various podcasts about how into Seth Rollins or Tyler Black then as he was and Davey Richards and all them. Mm-hmm. That was like the kind of stuff he was wanting to push was like feuds with guys like that that had those kinds of skills. Oh, my phone. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, and it, he always got pushback on that kind of stuff from like other talent in the company and like management. So it's like, I don't know when people always say like, oh, Corvette's stuck in his ways and shit. That's the kind of stuff he was wanting to push. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I don't know. It's like that, that stuff people like and everybody talks about nowadays. And that's kind of honestly what NXT does now. Yeah. It's just weird that we've seen like stuff like NXT and NWA, like putting out good content where it's just like, this is pro wrestling. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, uh, Kind of quick mention, so I mean, Roderick Strong was in ROH, uh, Adam Cole was in ROH, Austin Aries was in ROH. <laughs> they poached a lot of Ring of Honor guys. Mm-hmm. And Christopher Daniels was in ROH. Yep, Samoa Joe, CM Punk. Kenny Omega. <laughs> Brian Danielson. <laughs> Lots of guys. Yeah. But uh, that's all I have right now for some indie stuff. What's some mainstream stuff you want to talk about? Okay. I'm going to talk pretty much February to WrestleMania for now. Mm-hmm. And hand it back off to you. Um, let's see. At the end of February, the, the triple brand split WWE had it ended finally. Which was in, I think it was 2006. Like, uh, they kind of rebooted the ECW brand Uh-oh. because you remember that? Yeah, I remember the Kurt Angle. <laughs> yeah, it just cuts to like the rest of his music so people would stop saying he sucked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but like 
they did that one night stand pay per view in 2005, and it did like huge business for them. They 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 recognized that, and then like they're like, okay, so we'll do another one. And they did another one. It did huge business again. And then they're like, well, maybe we got something here. Maybe people want to see like an ECW thing. Mm-hmm. So they tried to revive the brand. That's a whole other discussion. I'm not really here to talk about that because that's like something for if you want to talk about the 2000s. Oh, God. Just, just significant here that it ended finally because over time it gradually got worse. And it, this was like the death knell. Like the last episode of ECW aired in February and the last match was like for the ECW title, which was like silver now. And Christian was the ECW champion. And Ezekiel Jackson beat him for that title. <laughs> he was the last ECW champion. That's when uh, CM Punk kind of debuted, right? On ECW. CM Punk debuted like on, yeah, on ECW. That's when it was still pretty good back then, mm-hmm. in my opinion, anyway. Uh, it was weird because like they. <laughs> The, what the show kind of morphed into was sort of like a pseudo-developmental kind of showcase. Mm-hmm. It's like people that they were working on or grooming, but they didn't think were quite ready to be on like Raw or SmackDown. Like CM Punk, was, they looked at him as one of those guys. John Morrison kind of really got over as a singles performer in ECW. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this was the end of it. This ended the, the triple brand split mercifully and everybody just kind of went wherever they went um what do you what are your memories of the the triple brand split the last year of it and all that i remember big show being champion there um i remember the zombie (laughs) zombie yeah yeah that was a thing because they were in the sci-fi network oh yeah the sci-fi Ooh. Was it a single announcing Joey Styles, or did they have the King there? I forgot. It was Joey Styles and Taz, which was perfectly fine. Oh yeah, um, yeah. It was weird because it's like at first it was it was pretty ECW like, and then over time it just gradually lost that feel and just became like this weird third stringer WWE show. Oh, I got some breaking news for you. It, it, unless you're going to watch NXT later. I'm going to watch it later. Okay, I won't spoil it then. <laughs> okay, no spoilers. <laughs> um, It's just a real minor note. Just I, I don't know. I, I just remember being like, okay, thank God it's finally over because they're dragging that name through the mud. Mm-hmm. Um, next, we have the Batista and John Cena feud of 2010. <laughs> it started around this time, I think. And I I don't know about you, but I thought that was a really good feud. Mm-hmm. And it provided Batista his exit. That was like the last thing he did as like a, you know, full-time performer for WWE. Like he turned heel and he started doing like his best promos ever. Was that the time where uh, him and Rey Mysterio were like buddy buddies and then all of a sudden he's like, you're supposed to be my friend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he he did like the give me my spotlight like he yelled and like all the lights would go out and he'd get his spotlight Mm -hmm. and then he's like (laughs) I still remember the promo he cut before Wrestlemania he's like see John while you're busy kissing babies and uh, 
hugging babies and kissing fat girls. I was in the gym thinking about how I was going to whip your ass. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, damn, he's like insulting the audience and shit. That's awesome. Because like they kind of got away from that a little bit, like like call people fat and fucking, mm-hmm. I don't know. But I, I felt like he was on fire around this time. It was like his best work, I thought, was in this feud. Was was the feud one of the matches with the feud with John Cena? Was that like a uh, I, I don't know if it was an I Quit match where he like handcuffs Batista to the ring post? No, no, that was Last Man Standing, and he duct taped his feet to the fucking ring post, <laughs> and Batista could not get up, and that's how John Cena won, and that was responsible for another great promo. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I, I ordered that pay-per-view and I watched that and I was so fucking pissed when that happened. I hated that. I thought that was terrible. And it was like, then Batista cut the promo the next night. I was like, duct tape. Are you serious? Really? Duct tape. <laughs> <laughs> like he was just freaking out. They had the, the mania match was like a regular one-on-one match. There was no special stipulation there. It was a good match. Mm-hmm. And then, like, they had the, the last base standing at Extreme Rules, I think. And then in May, they had, I think it was, like, a, it was, like, weird. It was, like, an ambulance or something. Uh, and that was the one where, like, Batista got really fucked up, and he cut his last promo, and he quit in the ring when he was in the wheelchair. Best promo ever. <laughs> he was in the wheelchair, and he was, like, wore a neck brace, and his arm was in a sling, and he looked all fucked up, and he was trying to cut a promo, but everybody kept booing him, and it was pissing him off. I quit. And he's like, I quit. And he like tried to throw the microphone. Oh, it was so great. My question is, and I, I don't know, I don't either, I don't remember or I don't know, is how the hell did he get the wheelchair in the ring? I don't remember. I, I think like he got helped into the ring. Like he like very gingerly got through the ropes with help. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, oh, oh, he was like overselling his neck and shit. <laughs> and then they like put him back in the chair and then then he did the promo or he tried <laughs> yeah that, that was another time that like that feud was really well i think they did a good job but then again this was a time where we all hated john cena because he was super cena yeah this was kind of the uh peak period for super cena mm-hmm. right here um then next, I've got the epic streak versus career between Undertaker and Shawn Michaels. Good match. Very, very good match. Very good program between those two guys. It, it was the follow-up to the previous WrestleMania, just the the one-off match that they just kind of built up, and it, it didn't really have anything real significant behind it. It was just like, we're going to have a match, brother, and you never really beat me, or, or whatever, and it was weird because it just didn't have a lot of build behind it. It was like an amazing match. Refresh my memory. Is this a time? Oh no, I, this might have been when Edge was uh, won the Royal Rumble. Not, not that that might have been Edge and Undertaker. Never mind. I totally fucked that up. But yeah. <laughs> anyway, though, uh, like the. The build-up off of this, I think, actually started in December because it was like, uh, I think Triple H and Shawn Michaels were like tag champions or they were going to go for it again or something. And like, Shawn was just seemed like he was really upset and everything. And he just stormed off and left him. And he's like, Shawn, where are you going? And he's like, 
He's like, you don't understand. Like, quit thinking about The Undertaker. We got a title match. He's like, you understand. If I can't beat The Undertaker, I have no career. And he walks away. <laughs> and he was like, oh, shit. So, yeah, they started that back up. And this was a great match. Uh, in my head, I I don't – I always have problems trying to figure out which one I like better because they're both really good. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a great send-off for Sean. It was like Ric Flair level retirement. And then he ruined it in Saudi Arabia last year. <laughs> well, it d- doesn't count because that, that was bald uh, Shawn Michaels. That was bald Shawn? Yeah. <laughs> I guess not. I still think, like, man, that, that that was such a great retirement. And then even I thought he was going to stick to it because he really seemed like he did for a long time. And then he did that. And was, I guess that Saudi money was just too much. He couldn't resist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All the, I mean, Undertaker still does it, so. Yeah, he's crazy, though. I think he quit. What What are your, your memories of this match, this feud? I remember it being really, really emotional. Uh, yeah. Because of Shawn Michaels, this was supposed to be, in quotation marks, an end of an era, kind of, with... Uh, you know, Shawn Michaels finally retiring, which he did not. <laughs> he did, and then he did not. Mm-hmm. He stayed retired for nine years. Yeah, no. Or eight years, I mean, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, in my opinion, I think he still has a lot in his, in his tank because, dude, he, he looks like he's in good shape when, when you see him in NXT stuff. He looks the same. He's just less hair. I figure, like, oh, yeah, he could probably keep wrestling. I think he just really wanted to, like, go home. Like, mm-hmm. he was just, I came back and I made up for all my fuck-ups in the late 90s, and I did good work. You can never say Sean was, like, super selfish and shit because he wasn't in the title picture almost any at all when he came back. Mm-hmm. It was just a couple times when they needed to lean on him because shit happened. Like, yeah. like he had that one match with John Cena in, in like the UK and it was like this, something happened and the booking was almost ruined that night and they needed him and Sean to wrestle for like an hour on Raw. So they did. <laughs> and it was like really awesome. It was a very good match. I mean, you could totally do it. You just, you, you just got to plan it out really well. Yeah. It's just, I... I think Sean just just wanted to be done. Like he he felt like he did everything he wanted to, and he was just like, "I'm done. I'm done, brother." And yeah, it's a very emotional uh, match story. Uh, lots of people were affected when he lost. You could tell. And then the, the retirement the next night on on Raw it was like, yeah, a bunch of people were like crying and stuff. Mm-hmm. As much as when Ric Flair retired, I think more. Uh, just because it was like, I don't, I'm not saying like, oh, this proves Sean's more well known than Ric Flair or anything. It's just to more of that audience, I would think Sean Michaels is more familiar and well known than Ric Flair. Well, I think in the '90s, Sean Michaels had more of a, uh, I guess. Rick Flair know. got de-emphasized after the early '90s in WCW very much. Like he he went through two bouts where like he had Jim Hurd trying to get rid of him. He hated Ric Flair. That was like in the early nineties, but Ric Flair still had enough clout that it was like it was too hard to keep him down. 
eventually flair just got pissed and left and that's that that's what caused that short wwf run he had yeah um and then after the NWO stuff started taking off, it's like Ric Flair was just kind of left in the dust, and he was de-emphasized. It's like he's old. It's all about the NWO, brother. And they did all those stupid segments trying to embarrass him, like he was in a mental institution and all this shit. And he's always taking his clothes off and making a fool of himself. Which, uh, which Cody Rhodes kind of did like a, a tiny promo with uh, about MJF with that. Where he just started throwing his like money on the ground and his watch. He didn't quite take it as far as Flair did. But... No, he didn't like elbow the fucking his his trousers or anything. <laughs> take his pants off and do a knee drop to him. <laughs> Woo! He gets up. <laughs> but no, like I feel like that's part of it is because it's like Flair got de-emphasized in the nineties, and whereas that was Sean's heyday. Mm-hmm. And you had a lot of people grew up watching Shawn Michaels. So like for them to see this, it's like, Oh my God. Like, it's like when they saw, uh, I don't know, somebody else retire. That's from an older generation. <laughs> and I guess kind of like foreshadowing the future after Shawn Michaels lost to the undertaker, I knew the triple H feud was going to happen with taker, but yep. we, we could save that for the next years. <laughs> then, I got one more short one here. Okay. One of wrestling's dumbest storylines ever started, in my opinion, in June. Okay, what is that? The anonymous Raw general manager. Oh, no. (laughs) Which was... WWE had, like, this fetish with, like, having guest general managers for, like, a couple years on their show. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was just Raw. And it was just, like, random people. Sometimes it was good. Sometimes it was terrible. Like, you had, like, Ozzy Osbourne and Bob Barker. Those were good. And then you had, like, the guy that said Kobe Johnston at Summerfest. <laughs> and, and, like, somebody else. I can't remember. Like, there were really bad ones that were super cringy. It led to a lot of, like, super cringy segments. This was, like, the fucking dark age for Raw for a while. It was, like, because of this shit. <laughs> and... Eventually, it just led into, okay, now we have an anonymous Raw General Manager, and it was just a laptop, and Michael Cole would get, like, a text. He would go to a podium where the laptop is and be like, ladies and gentlemen, I've just received a message from the anonymous Raw General Manager. And then everybody would boo. Eventually, this got heat, and people would start booing it. And they ran this story for, like, a year Mm -hmm. until it ended. And do you remember what the payoff was? Was it something? Uh, it had something to do with McFoley, right? No, no. It actually, and actually, it ended in 2012. Like in 2011, it just stopped. There was no announcement or anything. Or I think there. Wait, it could have been like when Edge destroyed the laptop. That might have been the stop. <laughs> you remember that? That was like the only other memorable thing that happened with that. Mm-hmm. Like, Edge, like, it, it, he was screwing Edge over, and Edge was just getting pissed, and he was, like, looking at the laptop, and he had the crazy look. Yeah. He's like, Edge, what are you doing? He was, like, speaking to Microsoft Sam. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. You've got the crazy eyes. He just grabbed the laptop and, like, head-butted it several times and elbow-dropped it. <laughs> and they wrote, that's how they wrote the character off. Yeah, I remember the uh, when Stone Cold guest GM'd the, the night. And then, like, Michael Cole went to go to the the computer, and then 
Stone Cold is like, you better get your ass away from that computer or I'll beat you up. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. <laughs> but the, the real payoff came like a year later in 2012, randomly. And it was like, who was the, the Raw General Manager the whole time? It was Hornswoggle under the ring. Stupid. <laughs> and that's that's what I got so far. Okay. So back into some indie stuff. Um, not a lot, so I'm not going to be like trying to like bore you guys with it because indie wrestling, you either get a good storyline or you just get a bunch of matches. <laughs> yeah, indie wrestling back then was pretty bare bones. It was like a lot of it was just a bunch of balls to the wall, 100 miles per hour style matches. And what did you do? You did February? I, I went from February into like June real quick because nothing really happened in May except like the end of the Cena Batista feud. Yeah, because the pay per view, uh, ROH, the Big Bang. The Big Bang. Yeah, stupid uh, names. <laughs> Cole Cabana and El Generico defeated Kevin Steen and Steve Perino. Shit. The tag match. Uh, Cole Cabana actually looked pretty decent in ROH. He doesn't, in my opinion, he looks sillier in D- NWA than what he was in Cole, uh, in Cole Cabana in uh, ROH. Does he have the same physique? Does he, did he have like kind of a beer gut? A little bit, and he still had those like bullseye elbow pads. He's still wearing like the 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 singlet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's how he always looked. I remember when he was Scotty Goldman in WWE for like a hot minute. He still kind of looked like that. He looked younger though. <laughs> I think that's his problem. He just does, he does does not have a gimmick. He's just like I wrestle. That's all I do. I thought you were gonna say his problem was he just looks like kind of average. I mean, yeah, that, that's what <laughs> I was pretty much saying. Is he just he wrestles? That's all he does. He's kind of a loud mouth. I think. I think he's got that going for him. He just needs something to go with that. It just can't be called Boom Boom, boom. Cabana. Superman Pin! <laughs> Has he ever been a heel? Uh, a little bit. Kind of like how he did at NWA where he's like back and forth. I think he should try being a heel more. I- I've always been under the impression he's been like a baby face almost the entire time. Well, I thought when he came with... Uh, but Ken Anderson, he was kind of heelish in a way. See, I thought they were being baby faces together. I don't know. <laughs> See, this, is, this is why NWA is interesting. <laughs> uh, more on this pay-per-view, Tyler Black, a.k.a. Seth Rollins, defeated Austin Aries and Roderick Strong for the ROH Championship, and he won. Damn. Aries pinned Strong, and then... Black pin area, so I guess it was a elim- yeah three way elimination match. I bet that match was crazy. Yeah, dude, man, you got Austin Aries who's a a cruiserweight. Tyler Black Black was kind of like a heavyweight cruiserweight kind of thing. And light he, heavyweight. Yeah, and <laughs> Roderick Strong, another light heavyweight. So it must have been high flying. I mean, I I've seen a little bit of it. I just known that it was crazy. Uh, other than that, let me see what else, because 
in June, we had Dominion, and that's when Prince Devitt started going on his solo uh, thing for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship. This is when he starts to slowly turn into the asshole a little bit, where he's, you know, I'm, I'm the champion, but I, I think I deserve more than this junior heavyweight bullshit. I need to be a heavyweight champion. The asshole prince. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, like, his matches are always good to see, and he still has the same moveset as he does today. Which I find surprising, by the way. Like, all the wrestlers that came to WWE or AEW, they all have the same move style. But I guess that's where the training comes in. Where the, That's what they've been training for years. I guess. The other thing to remember about some of these guys, too, is, is like, well, uh, Balor's kind of, I think he's in his mid-30s now. Mm-hmm. None of them are really still that old yet. They're still in, like, the prime of their career. Like, like Seth Rollins is, I think he's like 32, 33, maybe. Yeah. Like, so yeah, a lot of these guys are still in their, their prime time. So it's like, yeah, I can kind of see how their stuff doesn't change as much. I think Rollins has slowed down a little bit. I think that's due to his knee injuries though. Like when he tore both of his knees at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) God, talk about shit luck. I've never heard of that. Um, kind of moving into uh, September now because Nothing happened in August, and I didn't really watch uh, uh, CZW or fucking CMLL or AAA. I'm not a fan of that stuff. <laughs> you don't like Lucha? Not only like when they have their big pay-per-views. I'll watch it because sometimes they get Ring of Honor people in New Japan stuff to cross-promotion. Yeah. Um, but what we got here... Where the fuck was I? Glory by Honor, Ring of Honor. So since Tyler Black is on the verge of going to the WWE, that means we have to get the belt off of uh, Seth Rollins. So Roderick Strong defeated Tyler Black in a no-disqualification match for the ROH World Championship. There it is. Yep, and that's where he became the the champion, even though he he was a Jericho. (laughs) Uh, Colt Cabana and El Generico again defeat Kevin Steen and Steve Carino in a double chain match. Double chain match, huh? <laughs> yeah, double the chain. It's pretty much what the the match stipulation was. <laughs> Is that was that like they're they're bound by a chain together, or like they hit they get a chain and hit each other? I can't remember. It's pretty much like the bound by chain bullshit. Okay. That's also usually a strap match, I think, is, is the original version of it. Mm-hmm. I think it was called an Indian strap match. Yeah. Uh, then in ROH, they had the Kings of Wrestling, which was Claudio Castagnoli and Chris Hero defeated wrestling greatest tag team Charlie Haas and Shelton Benjamin. Now I know all of these guys, and I remember back in the back then, like, oh, the Kings of Wrestling are an amazing tag team. Yeah, I I watched some of their stuff even on the internet. I liked them enough that I did that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I know all these guys. 
It was pretty interesting seeing Shelton Benjamin in ROH, like, retroactively, like, going back and seeing it. It was a lot more uh, crazier in ROH than he was in WWE. That's because I, during that time, WWE, with the Chris Benoit thing, they had a... Couldn't get too many concussions and shit and do crazy shit. Um, other than that, I mean... I guess we'll go back into the mainstream because we're almost near the holiday area. <laughs> this is this is a big entry. This might take a while to talk about. Okay. This I started this from the end of February to June first, but this whole subject stretches the whole year. Um do you remember the initial concept for NXT? Yes, the uh, game show. The game show, it started in this year. It started on February 23rd. The first season was February 23rd to June 1st. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was this weird quasi-reality game show competition where veteran wrestlers had rookies who represented them. And the only thing people really remember from the first season of this is like the really bad game show aspect and that Brian Danielson was the Miz's rookie, <laughs> which was hilarious to think about. And they, they knew what they were doing. They, they used this to get Miz heat, get uh, Brian Danielson, Daniel Bryan over. Because mm-hmm. it's like at that point in time, he'd been wrestling five years longer than the Miz had. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 I, I remember that. Like, I was like, wait a second. He, He's he's more of a veteran than Miz. <laughs> he's like, I think he has more ring experience than almost everybody there, except probably Chris Jericho. <laughs> like, and then like I can't remember who the other pros were, but like that's the other thing people remember is that like Daniel Bryan had that match with Chris Jericho like on the first episode. It was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, like. I don't know. It was a really crazy match. They did a lot of stuff you didn't really see that much. Like Daniel Bryan did one of those suicide dives through the ropes. At that point in time, that was a pretty rare move to see in WWE. I mean, I think the only person that probably did that was The Undertaker, right? That scary Undertaker fucking suicide dive. Yeah, the one where he almost kills himself. Every time. <laughs> Every time. But uh, it was it was interesting to see a smaller guy do it really fast. Mm-hmm. Uh. Let's see. The initial crop of rookies on this first season. Do you remember all of them? Was Titus O'Neil in there? Is that when he did the uh, barrel where he tripped? And... <laughs> the first the first incident of Titus O'Neil tripping. Yeah. That was the second season. He was he was in the second season. Oh no. I during this time, this is when I kind of became a casual fan where I watched it here and there, but I remembered uh Daniel Bryan being on NXT and me really hating The Miz because I was like, man, this fucking real world douchebag is a fucking wrestler now and I didn't really like him. I at this point in time, I I didn't really like The Miz either. Like like professionally speaking, I'll call it. Mm-hmm. I didn't think he was that good. Um, I thought the best thing he could do was a good promo once in a while. Um, but like, yeah. Here's like the, here's the crop. Uh, these are really, these are the standouts. Cause there's a couple more I can remember, but you had, uh, Justin Gabriel. Okay. Uh, Michael Tarver, that, that boxing guy. 
Oh God, really? Yeah. <laughs> um. And there's uh, let's see, Heath Slater. Okay. He's a, the Slater Gator brother. He's got kids. He's got kids. The one man rock band. <laughs> Skip Sheffield. Oh boy. Who later became the Ryback. <laughs> and yes, I always call him the Ryback. And probably the biggest standout besides Daniel Bryan was Wade Barrett. I've or got, Stu Bennett now. Yeah, I've got some bad news. And yeah, they did a bunch of like silly game show things like you run with a barrel, you, you cut a promo about a random thing. Like they just tell you one word like mustache, which was responsible for one of the worst promos ever on recorded on TV. I, <laughs> I think this was like the whole when like reality TV was at its peak because this is when they right after they did tough enough and like all the Kardashians and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and like Jersey Shore, like I th- I just think Vince watched an episode of Jersey Shore and it was like, I mean, and you come over our own reality show. Yeah, I, I think that's what they were thinking as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, Wade Barrett was like the only real standout at the time besides uh, Daniel Bryan. And when this whole thing like kind of ended, it spun it out into like the nexus storyline mm-hmm. where like all the all the guys from nxt were like felt embarrassed because they had to undergo all that embarrassing horse shit michael mcgillicuddy <laughs> yeah and uh that that that's the guys from season two that, that was the other thing is like this one season came and went and then it was like tune in next week for season two it's like what <laughs> how can you have another season in the same year <laughs> like and then this season ran from June 8th to August 31st. And that had Caval, or Loki, Husky Harris, Huskus, Huskus the Pigman, Bray Wyatt, hey. <laughs> uh, Michael McGillicuddy, who, who also cut one of the worst promos ever in this season. <laughs> <laughs> Percy Watson. Oh, yeah, he's the, uh, well, it's, does he still do NXT? No, he left. Uh, he he left. Uh, I think a year or two ago, and went to do some acting. Oh yeah, because Nigel and fucking uh, Beth Phoenix are now. Yeah, he did okay as commentator. I didn't think he was like really stand out ish or anything. Um, I remember him being kind of entertaining though when he was on this version of NXT. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then yeah, Titus O'Neil was in this one. This was the beginning of him tripping. Um. There was another guy, Eli Cottonwood. He cut the infamous mustache promo I was talking about. Oh god! It was like, uh, like here's this is really funny. I watched a video about this like uh, a couple days ago, talking about awesomely bad promos. Mm-hmm. And in this, the mustache was in here, but like they were making, he was making fun of Curtis Axel, Michael McGillicuddy, because he's like, remember when he cut the the Genesis promo? <laughs> yeah. He's like, wait. And then it showed in the same segment that uh, he cut a good promo based off of this really shitty gimmick. And they said, your subject is breath. And then he just went like, you know what? I don't even need to say much else because by the time this episode is going to be over, you're going to be breathless. And I was like, damn, that's kind of smooth, man. There you go. <laughs> and then like, 
But like, yeah, this big guy, he like Hotwood, he's like, mustache. And then he's just like, what is a mustache? <laughs> That's how you start your promo. He's like, oh, it's a little bit of hair on the upper lip. I don't have one, but he had a mustache. <laughs> and he's like, all these guys around here don't have one. But then there was like Curtis Axel had a beard. He had a fucking mustache. <laughs> and then like somebody else had facial hair too. And he's like, but I have the best one out of all of them. So it's like, wait, you just said you didn't. And none of these other guys did. And then you say you have the best one out of all of them. Totally fucking butchered it. <laughs> and then like, yeah, later on that, that season is like uh Curtis Axel got eliminated and he cut the epic McGillicuddy promo. Mm-hmm. That was the other thing that was dumb. It's like this guy's called it's like when they called Brian Danielson Daniel Bryan, that pissed people off for a while, but they got over it. Mm-hmm. And then it was like Michael McGillicuddy. Everybody knew who that was. That's Joe Hennig, Kurt Hennig's son. <laughs> and that pissed people off too because they gave him this terrible name. It's like that awful WWE name generator. Well, I think this was like part of like you know, he didn't want to take his father's name, I guess. He wanted to be his own. But, like, they gave him Michael McGillicuddy. Like, what the fuck is that? I, I don't think that was ever the case. That was still when WWE was really super hardcore about, we're going to give you a name and you're going to use that name. Because, God damn it, you're not going to get famous off your name and leave. <laughs> <laughs> they were They were really hardcore about that shit around this time. That's why it was such a surprise when they would, like, sign AJ Styles and he just gets to be AJ Styles instead mm. of Adam James Stevens <laughs> or something stupid like that. <laughs> My name uh, is Adam J. Stevens and I built this SmackDown house. I don't know. <laughs> built the SmackDown house. But uh Curse Axe will cut the McGillicuddy promo shortly after being eliminated and he's like from this moment, from this moment on, this is the start, the beginning, the genesis of McGillicuddy. <laughs> and that, that was literally the promo. It's <laughs> like, God, Caval won this, Loki won this. Mm-hmm. And like he had like a little run in WWE up until like December that year or January in the 2011. He's left. Yeah, Apparently, he hated it there. He hates everywhere. He's he's always a person that just gets pissed off at things and leaves. Well, he's a mark. He thinks he should be a, the, the most over and beat everybody. He's like a mark for himself. <laughs> Honestly, he is. It's like I've heard that like multiple times from different people. And it's like, dude, you're like five foot seven and you're not fucking pack. You don't look like that guy. So, like, where do you get off thinking that shit? <laughs> <laughs> and then. This will then this this is the big one unless you got something here we'll just like do a little brief cutaway for you to do one. No, I got nothing at the moment, so you can keep on going. Okay, season three of of NXT. <laughs> Did what? you see season three? No, I, I didn't really care for NXT uh, pre NXT before the, what NXT is now. But I don't I don't know why I watched all this shit. I think it's just because I was so bored of like everything else that they were doing at the time. Mm-hmm. Like that, like I know I said some good stuff, like you know the Batista feud and all that, and Undertaker and Shawn Michaels. But you gotta understand, normal WWE TV around this time was almost abysmal. It was really bad. 
Um, <laughs> I kept watching NXT, I guess, just because it was different. Mm-hmm. And it was just an hour. And sometimes it was, like, funny. Like, something funny would happen. Like, Titus O'Neil fell. <laughs> I think the reason why I didn't really watch it is I really liked Tough Enough. I thought that was a pretty solid uh, reality show that WWE produced and everything. And then, yeah. they, and then they did this NXT thing, where, where which I thought it was going to go towards, like, the Tough Enough route, where it was going to be with a live audience in a way. And then it just didn't. <laughs> This yeah, so like part of this was like morbid curiosity mixed with like oh maybe something really funny or cool will happen because it did happen once in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, season three though is where this got like super bad, super fast, and it was like I I I kept watching it because to me it got so bad it was good. <laughs> if there's any point like there was there's never been a program in my opinion in wrestling. That was just so bad it was good through and through. This is it. Um, this is like the plan nine of outer space of wrestling, in my opinion. Uh season three was the all divas season. Oh god. And as this <laughs> if anybody can remember what the women's division was ever like before all this stuff, man, this at this time it was slim pickings. You had like a few talented people. You had like Beth Phoenix and you had Natalia. They kind of held it down, did what they could. Mm-hmm. And you know, Melina was still there. I think she might have left the company at this point. I can't really remember. Uh, and outside of that, everybody else was just really not good. <laughs> but it's like a whole, an all diva season. I was like, I guess I'll watch this. Then I found out CM Punk is the color commentator for this season. <laughs> it was like, what the fuck? And then like, he was being ridiculous. Like, he's like, I'm wearing no pants right now. He actually said that on TV. Yeah, and I think, wasn't this, he was, like, commentating with, like, the, when they had that Saturday TV show where, you know, they did, like, replays and stuff, that guy, Summers or something like that? Uh, I don't, I don't remember that, but, uh. Like, the, the story from this, like, why he ended up doing this was uh, they were kind of trying him out on commentary a little bit here and there because he had, like, a groin injury at the time, I think. Mm-hmm. Just just to give him something to do. And apparently, I really liked his commentary. I thought he was, like, really good and really funny. Uh, he reminded me a lot of Jesse Ventura. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Michael Cole started his heel turn during this season. Uh because it was like he tried to treat this seriously in the first episode or two, but slowly over time, it was like he was losing his patience and he gave less of a fuck with each episode. <laughs> it was seriously like it got to a point like it reached a fever pitch when they were doing something like really bad. Like everybody was like so slipshod in their performance and everything. Did they have a dance challenge? I don't remember that. Uh, I don't remember a lot of the challenges anymore. It's kind of a blur. I need to go back and watch it. You can, I think you can go on WWE's website or find it on the network, actually, if you want to, and I think you should. I think we should have a, maybe in the future, a NXT watch-along, where we just, oh we watch it and we commentate on what happens. Oh, man, that would be a fun one to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, like... I think nobody in this 
version uh, this season here had any formal wrestling training like up to this point except AJ Lee. Oh man. Uh, she was the only one that did. Everybody else was like brand new, especially Caitlin. She was just like, "You're a model. You look kind of buff. You're hired." <laughs> what? Um, it was like it got to. They were like openly burying the show on air. Like Cold Punk made fun of everything. Matt Stryker was goofing on everybody. He was like the ring announcer. Matt, Sh- the- Matt Stryker should talk. Like, did you ever see his gear? It's just like white trunks. That's it. Well, he was doing this weird teacher thing. I don't know. <laughs> I'm the teacher. I'm I'm the fucking the symbol of intelligence or whatever. It's like one of those old gimmicks. Yeah. Hmm. But uh, it got to a point where like Michael Cole had a gong and they were using this gong to like end segments or something. <laughs> and like I I don't really remember what happened. I think they were trying to cut promos and Caitlin said something that was like really cringy. It was a bad promo. And Cole just starts hitting the gong repeatedly. He's like, dong, 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 like over and over. And then he gets a mic from like the, the timekeeper. And he goes like, this is embarrassing. This is ridiculous. This is a waste of everybody's time. I was a war correspondent. <laughs> he's like, here I am watching this garbage. And he's just like, I quit. He throws the mic down and he starts walking away and he just repeatedly says, stupid, dumb, stupid, dumb, stupid. <laughs> just like, I didn't know what was going on. Like I, I, I still to this day don't know what the creative process was for this show or if there even was one. Cause it's just so bizarre and weird. Might've been Vince just being like, well, it would be fucking funny if we got fucking divas in this NXT season. I don't know if Vince had a part in this or not. Like, I honestly don't know because it's so oddball out there. And, uh, you know, who won the third season? It was Caitlin. Uh-huh. And then like Naomi and AJ stayed over. And then they had the fourth season in early December. <laughs> oh God. It kept going. This one was a webcast only because season three tanked in the ratings for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. You had, in this season, Johnny Curtis, Fandango, Brodus Clay, Derek Bateman, EC3, Byron Saxton, the human peanut, <laughs> and Connor O'Brien, or Connor of the Ascension. Mm. And I, think, I think there's a couple more guys there. And then, it, it still didn't end. You had season five in 2011, and... <laughs> It was called Redemption, and it had everybody from all the previous seasons that lost. So, like, I think Titus O'Neil was back in it and a couple other people. Mm-hmm. And they still weren't done. <laughs> they were going to do season six. And it had, this is the lost NXT season. They did, like, a little article on WWE.com about this. It was actually pretty interesting. Um, this one had Seth Rollins, Xavier Woods, Big E, Bo Dallas, Damian Sandow, Jinder Mahal, Unico, and Leo Kruger, or Adam Rose. And, and, and when was that like the born of the new NXT, pretty much? Uh, no, it was still going to be in this game show format at the time. <laughs> Man, I was like, wow, you know, a lot, a lot of those guys went on to do something, at mm-hmm. least, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, even 
I mean, Unico became Sin Cara. <laughs> Jinder Mahal was world tight, world champion, you know. Mm-hmm. But Dave, like, huh? Xavier Woods was uh, was it six time or five time tag champion? Yeah, I think I think five or six now. Yeah, and I mean, everybody knows Adam Rose and everybody else. It's just like, wow, that was like actually a good lineup there. Adam Rose yeah. is Jack now, by the way. Yeah, he retired though. Yeah, but he's fucking yeah. killer Jack. That's the end of covering the original concept of NXT because it got crazy. <laughs> I didn't mean like it ended up becoming a big part of, of my thing mm-hmm. just because there was so much to it. And like nobody I don't know if anybody remembers season three, but goddamn you have to watch it just to see how strange it is. I think we should make content out of it. I think the watch along would be pretty fun to do. Oh my god, that'd be crazy. I'd lose my shit probably several times watching that now. <laughs> uh, do you have anything more? Uh, no, I'm going to let you take over for a little bit now because that one was a big one. <laughs> yeah, so uh, October, uh, New Japan had their uh, pay-per-view called Destruction in 2010. And this had a couple of good matches in there. It had to Jiri defeating uh, Toro Yano. It was just a singles match, and uh, Tajiri in the ring is always good to see. Yeah, I like Tajiri. And then another good match here was the Golden Lovers, with Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi defeated Apollo 55, which was Prince Devitt and Rizuki Taguchi. Uh, and, it, and we call the the Golden Lovers became the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Champions. And I think this is where pretty much Prince Devitt starts to lose it and beat the shit out of Taguchi. So that was a thing. And uh, I think he joins with Folly, Big Folly or whatever his name was. Bad Luck Folly? Yeah. Yeah. Fucking I I love his promos. He just says fuck everything. That's his thing. Really? He just says fuck everything? Yeah, like I'll fuck you up. That's fucking funny. (laughs) Um, that was October for that. And then in December is when we have the final battle, which I kind of covered a little bit with El Generico and uh, Kevin Steen, where they had that crazy match. But this was kind of like the, um, born of the Briscoe brothers, uh, which mm-hmm. defeated the king of wrestling, which was Chris Hero and Claudio Castagnoli. And uh, Shane Hagdom. Which, I don't. I've never heard of that guy. Uh, I don't remember him. <laughs> I just know that he was with them. I actually wrote it down in my notes. And then Shane Hagdom? Question mark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was like, who's this third man? And I was like, Shane Hagdom. Okay. Maybe he's the question mark. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, then they also had Roderick Strong. Uh, which was a singles match for the World Heavyweight Champion, which was not the main event, by the way. El Generico and Kevin Steen were the main event, which was because it was an unsanctioned fight without the without the honor for El Generico's mask. But anyway, back to Roderick Strong. He did uh, defeat Davy Richards, which Davy Richards was trying to go for another run at the title, and it just didn't happen. Roddy uh, outpaced him. Yep. Colt Gabbana defeated TJ Perkins. 
Oh, there's another familiar name. Mm-hmm. Another person that is not with WWE name anymore because he plays too much video games. No, I'm kidding. Uh, damn millennials play video games in the back. Damn it. <laughs> uh, Homicide, which I just want to double check. That is not the same. Oh, wait, that's the same Homicide from NWA. Yeah, that's Homicide. There's only one Homicide wrestling brother. Yep. With uh, defeated Christopher Daniels in a single match. I remember when Homicide used to be skinny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, he's with Eddie Kingston. They're probably smoking weed and fucking eating a lot. Yeah, maybe. Cause I Eddie... still remember when Homicide used to fight Christopher Daniels in TNA in 2003. Holy shit. <laughs> uh, then... Uh... The, the beginning match, the first match, was the night, the All Night Express, which was with Kenny King and Rite, uh, Ryhat Titus and defeated... Rhett Titus. There we go. Man, I can't talk today. I'm sorry, guys. The only reason I know that name is because Cornette had a huge bitch fit story about how Kenny King's a fucking idiot. And it was like one of the funniest things I've ever heard him talk about. <laughs> And then uh, they defeated the uh, pre-Undisputed Era with Adam Cole, Bebe, and Kyle O'Reilly. And I I remember that match, too, because I was like, who is this Adam Cole, Shawn Michaels lookalike doing super kicks? Brother, you figured it out quick. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And boy, does he become a thing. Yeah. But that's pretty much 2010 for indie wrestling. I mean, it's not nothing like WWE or TNA. Indie wrestling was still pretty low key back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- th- like, I don't really think it started picking up till like 2013. I want to say we started to heat up more, like the indie scene did. Because mm-hmm. it, it's like after the Monday Night Wars ended and everything. It's like the indie scene was like really broken up and it was hard to find stuff for it. And it was very much localized, like in an area and stuff. Usually mm-hmm. you used to have to like go to like the ring of honor website and order a DVD for $10. <laughs> like That's the way you used to have to be able to watch ring of honor in those days. Back, back in the day. Used to order those VHSs and DVDs. Re- re- indie wrestling's come a long way. Mm-hmm. This is this is proof of that because yeah, like not a whole lot of real big newsworthy things came out. There wasn't like a ton of indie superstars back then like there is now. Everybody talks about. Mm. Uh, I mean, they had their famous guys like CM Punk and Brian Danielson and all that. Plus, the internet was kind of maturing during that time. I mean, what I mean by maturing, I mean before it got out of control, like it how it is today. Yeah, it was still it was still hard to like. uh, Yeah, it was just hard to find stuff like this because like YouTube didn't exist for a while. You got to remember that. Mm -hmm. And then when it did, there still wasn't a lot of wrestling content on it because it was brand new for several years. And Facebook starting, and but it didn't. It wasn't as big, so like MySpace was still huge during 2010. So it was pretty much like when the Monday Night Wars ended and after all the territories folded up, it was like starting over from scratch. Yeah. For a lot of these promotions, except Japan. Japan was always kind of its own thing. 
It's weird because I, I I messaged you one night saying that New Japan is way better than AEW, and I I said that for a reason because they still do in New Japan a different styles, but they always keep it pro wrestling. That's what I've heard a lot. I'm I'm thinking about trying to watch the the Wrestle Kingdom stuff mm-hmm. uh, in January because it's before Royal Rumble and everything. It's really good. I watch it every year. Yeah, like I've always said, like I'm gonna try to get to New Japan at some point and give it a real shot. There's no reason that keeps me from it. It's just I never get around to it. Mm-hmm. Is what it is. Yeah, but that that's my 2010. Do you, do you have any more? Yeah, I've got a lot more. Okay. <laughs> Not like I don't think we're gonna go real crazy long or anything, but it's just I got like a few more pieces here. Yeah, I don't think we're gonna dive into 2011 because we're almost at two. We are at two hours. Yeah, we're gonna call it after I get done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, the the Nexus invasion angle. Oh. Which started on June seventh. Which was good. It was really cool. It was like uh. It was like a Raw, and this main event was John Cena versus CM Punk, which was a really good match. Mm-hmm. And it didn't end because everybody from NXT came out wearing armbands, and they beat the shit out of everybody. <laughs> and they destroyed the ringside area. And then they Daniel Bryan tried to kill Justin Roberts. <laughs> He's choking him with a tie, and Justin Roberts oversold the fuck out of it. it looked like his eyeball was gonna pop out of his head. Just <laughs> <laughs> crazy, and like it, it was kind of insane because you really had, didn't see anything like that. Uh, where like they, these guys just stormed the ringside area and t- completely tore the place apart. It beat everybody's ass <laughs> except Michael Cole. I think I think he got away unscathed. Uh. Just caught the attention of everybody, the fans and everything. And this was building to a hot angle at SummerSlam. Until? Until SummerSlam. (laughs) Uh, They had a real chance here to, like, make some stars out of these guys, even if all of them weren't really there yet, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Like, Heath Slater wasn't anywhere near ready to be in an angle like that. Or uh, Michael Tarver or anybody. Wade Barrett, I think, could hold his own. Uh, Justin Roberts could, or not Justin Roberts. <laughs> Justin Gabriel uh, was was pretty good too. I thought at the time. He just he didn't he couldn't promo. I think the Ryback, the Ryback maybe yeah. And then like there was uh, oh shit. Uh, Daniel Bryan had switched sides because he, after the after he choked Justin Roberts with his tie, he got fired for like a month mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's like you know it's too violent. We can't have that. It's PG. He's trying to kill a guy with his tie. I thought that was like the dumbest shit ever, uh, but it turned out to just be like a, a temporary. Okay, we're going to fire you for a month and get the heat off of us. And it, when he came back, he was like on WWE side. Uh, and he was part of Cena's team, which was like uh, Daniel Bryan, Cena, I think, Edge, Jericho. I want to say Jericho. Yeah, I believe that's correct. Didn't they it, have Brett, the Hitman Hart? Did... Bret Hart, too, yeah, who was United States champion. Oh, Jesus Christ, I forgot <laughs> about that. Bret Hart was U.S. champion for like 
a couple months or something. <laughs> and then he like vacated the title. He was just like, uh, this was fun, but I'm going to vacate it now. <laughs> so he never got defeated for it, at least. <laughs> but, was this the angle with John Cena where he did that really, really dumb camera uh, staring thing? Uh, yeah, that was later on in this this feud. Yeah, between him and the Nexus. Oh God. Uh, there was like uh, the the big thing is this is where the the angle dies is it's at SummerSlam where it builds to a fever pitch it dies on the same night <laughs> <laughs> because like. It was a cool match. The, the crowd was hot for this match at the time, I remember. Uh, Dale Bryan was, like, super over. And people, I mean, Bret Hart was there. That was cool, too. And where it broke down was near the end. It, basically how it ended, which was Super Cena. Mm-hmm. Super Cena came into play. And, like, it was, like him versus like two or three people because Jericho and edge were like in fighting and they got beat because of that or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like it was way Barrett. I think Justin Gabriel and somebody else and Cena beat quickly eliminated one guy. Um, him and Gabriel uh, double team Cena for a bit. They went outside. Cena got DDT on the floor and like, it seemed like, Oh my God, he's fucked up. Like, how can he win now? It's two-on-one. He just got DDT'd on the floor. Cena gets back into the ring. Attitude adjusts Gabriel or somebody and pins him, and then he turns around and beats Barrett really fast and submits him. I'm shaking my head. It's the dumbest shit. And, like, I think people booed that, that ending. Mm -hmm. And it was just buried them, because it's like, well, Cena just beat three guys or some shit. And he beat, like, the leader, too, who was, like, the one who had any modicum of talent, really. Mm-hmm. And, like, nobody got over because of this. And there's been stories from, like, Edge and Jericho where, like, they were kind of planning the match out that day earlier with Cena. And he wanted to do this. And then they're both like, you shouldn't do that. That's not going to work. <laughs> and he's like, no, this is the, this is the way it's going to happen. It's going to work. And they were both like, no, man, you're not thinking about this right. <laughs> Allegedly, later that night after the match was over, and he heard the reaction and everything, he went to both of them. He's like, you guys were right. I just didn't see it that way for some reason. I'm like, what way are you talking about? <laughs> the way where you bury both guys and just for some reason? <laughs> at least he owned up to it, I guess. I guess at least he owned up to it, but I'd like to know what the fuck he was thinking. <laughs> he, he must have was th- he- he must have been thinking that he's Super Cena and nobody can't beat me because I'm the number one star and Vince really likes me. He must have went to the Hulk Hogan school of I don't do jobs, brother, or something. <laughs> and, I, I, I always struggled to understand like the ending of that match and everything. Well, you also gotta, you also gotta think that uh, this was during a time where people were starting to get sick of John Cena. And seeing a faction, seeing a stable in a long, I mean, besides the CNDX come back for like a couple of months and shit, or a year, whatever, uh, seeing a new stable like that just tear up the whole fucking arena was cool. It It was really cool. It got a lot of attention. Everybody was into this angle up until that, the end of SummerSlam. But this is what Vince usually does is he, he, this thing happens, 
it's so fucking over. He'll he'll abuse it for a couple of months just so that he could squeeze a little money out of it for a couple of pay per views, and then he throws it away like, you know, I just finished playing with my toy. I'm done. Well, he he abused it, killed it within like two months, and then he played with the corpse for like three more months. Mm-hmm. Is what he did here because it kept going after that. It kept going. I thought they even oh corpse. I did. I was like, I'm pretty sure they're called Core, the Wade Barrett thing, but... (laughs) (laughs) That's next year. The Core is next year. (laughs) But, like, it kept going after that. And it was like, well, the the fucking group lost their heat because they lost to, like, one guy. Like, three of them. Like, one guy beat three of them, Mm -hmm. including their leader. And it, it still kept going. And then eventually it got to this dumb stipulation where it's like, if you lose to us, Cena, you're fired. And he was fired or some shit and, and then, then he came back and then he came back as juan cena at house shows he wore a mask do you remember that shit yeah i remember that <laughs> it's juan cena it's like god damn it he, he can't even sell an angle he has to fucking come back anyway um i remember like the really dumb hokey shit they were doing after that where like cena became like their whipping boy for a couple months yeah, and then the NXT group became a joke. And then there they go. They're just done. Like, they started doing this shit where it's like, you're my manservant now, John. I want you to read my proclamation. <laughs> he hands Cena a fucking scroll. A, <laughs> a scroll that he unwinds. <laughs> like, he's like, like, he's reading some kind of statement from the 1600s or some shit. And it was just so over the top. And then eventually it ended in December when there was a TLC pay-per-view and Cena buried Barrett under a bunch of chairs. It was like a visual that represented the whole thing. Oh yeah. I remember that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That was when Cena before that, that's when Cena did the angry face. Oh, that was tables, ladders and chairs. That's when the the chairs were like on uh, the stage itself. And he, he like, Teared it down and it like was like a waterfall of uh, chairs, right? Yeah, I think it was like b- before that though. Like he fought Jack Swagger in a match like before that pay per view, and he was like losing his shit. Like he was getting really angry. Or no, no, I'm sorry, I'm confusing that. I'm confusing that with the Kane storyline that happens the next year. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> but yeah, you're right. He was doing the really over the top angry face during that pay per view too. Yeah, oh my god it. This was like pre-Cena, like acting, and it's it like was terrible. It's like, was he trying to kill him? I guess he wanted to kill him. I thought snaps were gonna come out of his nose because you know when you do like it really hard, you're like, <laughs> yeah, it's like foaming at the nose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that was kind of that angle, really. Overall, nobody benefited. Nobody benefited from this. I think uh, I think that was the point where I was just like, "This is dumb." I'm gonna like stop watching Raw and SmackDown for a little bit. I I mostly did stop. I kept peeking in once in a while because I wouldn't have anything to do on Monday or something. Mm-hmm. Um, here's something good that did happen during this time though. What? Alberto Del Rio debuted on June 25th on SmackDown. I vaguely remember how he debuted. They were doing like all these old school like vignettes where he's like, I am Alberto Del Rio and I am the richest man in Mexico or some shit. It's like he was a, a Mexican Ted DiBiase or something. 
That's rad. It was pretty cool. Like it was kind of a throwback gimmick. Mm-hmm. And he had like he had always come out in like a luxury car, and he had his own personal ring announcer. Nobody else could announce him. Oh, uh, Rodriguez or something. Ricardo Rodriguez, hey. <laughs> who was great. He was he was great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. He was kind of a breath of fresh air because he was like a throwback kind of character, but he was also a good wrestler, which it, was it, sorely needed at this point in time. <laughs> His style was like a mixture of luchador with like technical. He yeah, he was kind of able to merge like American style with lucha and, and work it in a heel fashion to where it made sense. That's where a lot of luchadors like have problems is like when they try to transition to an American style, they kind of like they're stuck doing lucha stuff. Mm-hmm. That's that's why Sin Cara had so much trouble at first. The the original one. Besides refusing to learn English (laughs) (laughs) so he could communicate with people. But, uh, yeah, and his initial feud was with Rey Mysterio, and they had great matches for, like, a couple months. I always like when uh, Spanish wrestlers, like, debut. They always do, like, the, you have to go, like, through the Lucha people and even Rey Mysterio. Yeah, it's, I don't know, it's like passing the torch. They've still been to this day trying to find somebody to replace Rey Mysterio. And they really haven't yet because nobody's really stuck. Mm-hmm. Like Del Rio is mostly meant to be a heel, but he, they could still like use him as like a bankable star, I think, for the Latin market, as they would say. Mm-hmm. And, but like they've always had this search for like the next Rey, the next Eddie, you know. And so far, nothing's really stuck. It's like they had Sin Cara, and that was supposed to be a big deal, and that. It didn't happen. <laughs> and then they were kind of banking on Kalisto for a little while, and then that didn't happen either. Yeah, that was... Like, he became kind of big, and then he just fell out of nowhere, with the nowhere land. Now it's Andrade, I think, but I don't even know what they're trying to do with him now. It seems like they don't even know what they want to do with him anymore. They don't know what to do with his name. Keep on changing it. Andrade's matches he had with Ray recently this year reminded me a lot of the matches Del Rio used to have with Ray. <laughs> like how, how they were just like they had immediate chemistry and they could work really well together. Uh-huh. I was like, man, this shit's awesome. It was like I was having flashbacks to what he was like first wrestling Del Rio. And I'm like, it reminds me of that. Um, Yeah, what do you think of Del Rio? Uh, I liked him in the beginning and, then, and I know I'm like kind of going ahead in decades, but when he was like during the CM Punk era and all that stuff and cashing in and everything, I thought he was really, really well used. And then uh, he, he uh, quit the WWE and then he started dating Paige <laughs> and possibly he, abusing. Uh, yeah. It's still unknown what happened there. All I know is in his initial run, he was pretty good for a little while. Then they turned him face and that was a really terrible idea. Mm-hmm. And I think it kind of ruined him. Oh, he it left. definitely did. Yeah, like he was just, he's more naturally a heel. Like he's one of those people. Mm-hmm. And he came back for a hot minute and he was like kind of cool again. Uh, and then he just kind of petered out and he did that whole League of Nations thing that was terrible and then he was gone. Well, th- wasn't like John Cena like the champion and like a U.S. champion at the same time? And then he's like, I'm going to do an open challenge. And Alberto Del Rio came back. He came back and he beat him really fast. Mm-hmm. 
was like honestly kind of shocking. I was like, what? Like, this is like when the Super Cena thing wore off mm-hmm. at this point. But <clears throat> yeah, Del Rio was a cool moment there. The King of the Ring tournament happened in 2010. Was that when uh, Wade Barrett won? No, right? Nope. King Sheamus. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Like, there was a kind of another gap period between King of the Rings here. I think it had been like three years since the last one because that's when Booker T became King Booker. Mm-hmm. Or no, uh, William Regal won the last one in 2008 and then that didn't go anywhere immediately because he tested dirty for steroids. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately. Um, so they continued the goofy King gimmick here where it's like, oh, you won King of the Ring. You're King now. And he came out looking like Loki or something. Yeah. It was just, I don't know. It was like, I'm King Seamus. It was just boring. I don't, I, there's nothing else to say about it other than that, I think. Well, you had this like Irish white, really, really white dude wearing this like costume. And it's just like, it was terrible. I, I don't know. I don't know what happened to King of the Ring where it's like Vince is obsessed with this idea where it's like, if you win, you're, you're king. You got to be king now. You got to wear a crown and we got to call you King, whatever your name is. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just wish that they made the King of the Ring important again. They had a chance and then they fucked that up again, too. Mm-hmm. With King Corbin. I was like, fuck. I mean, he's turning it into something. He's he, he I think he's starting to become one of those guys where it's like they give him lemons and he makes lemonade out of it somehow. Mm hmm. So, I it's still he got saddled with shit. <laughs> like he just did. Now he's King Corbin. I want you to feed dog food to Roman. God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> this is the last note I have for 2010. Though. Okay. Linda McMahon left her WWE job and made her first bid for Senate in 2010. And I think that was like in November is is like when that was going on. And didn't they go like heavy PG after that? Yeah, like they they switched to a PG rating like before, like in two thousand eight. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't really like hard PG, you know. Mm-hmm. But it was at this point where it became hard PG. Yeah, because you know she's running for Senate, and then. She had to make a good image because, you know, that her opponents would probably use, like, oh, you're part of WWE where they showed boobies. You're part of that, that wrestling organization where your husband abuses women, tells them to strip down to their underwear, get on all fours, and bark like a dog. <laughs> <laughs> your husband has the kiss my ass club. <laughs> so much shit linked to him that anybody could just bring up. Mm-hmm. They were crucifying your daughter on TV. <laughs> but, your, but like it's a what? Your son-in-law drugged your daughter and married her. <laughs> That's rape. <laughs> it's been debated for years if this had an effect on the WWE product. I've always believed that it did. Um, like they they wanted to switch to PG after the Benoit thing anyway to try to like tone down violence you know potential concussions and shit mm-hmm. and you know they stopped telling people to do as many risky top rope moves and things uh, 
which is fine because it's like, yeah, realistically, you don't want anybody to get hurt. And we've had that discussion before where it's like, over the years, injuries are becoming more frequent because of ring work. Uh-huh. And it's like for a while, the, the, the ring style in WWE became really safe. It was almost like kind of like they went back to how it was in the mid-90s. Yeah, but you know what happened in the mid-90s, right? Uh, the Attitude Era, <laughs> ECW. <laughs> I mean, before, like, they're trying to go back to everything grounded, everything back to, like, grapples and shit. And when you're coming from an era that was, like, off the chain crazy, and I'm not saying do this now, but people love that shit. People love violence. People love sex. People love rock and roll. And then when you start taking that away, people go, this is kind of boring. Unless there's, like, no good story to it. Like, if there's a good storyline to it, it might be able to keep people's attention. But if you're just having guys come in and doing, like, grapple shit and, like, some basic moves and all that. Yeah. It could really make the match boring. Yeah. It, this, this gets kind of into a deep subject where it's, like talking about like how wrestling changes and ratings and everything. Mm. Like, don't get me wrong. Like even the mid '90s stuff, compare it to like stuff the the decade before it, and that still looks like it's light years ahead of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but like, in a way, I feel like that they kind of had to eventually do this anyway, because there were just so many years where so much crazy shit happened that people were it was starting to lose its effect. Like some of these stipulations and all this hardcore violence, mm-hmm. it's, it's desensitizing people. Like they prostituted out the hell in the cell. Hell cell used to be a big deal. Not anymore. Now it's just a pay-per-view where they have an annoying ass red cage and a red light and a red light makes you see even less of, of what you normally would. <laughs> They have a TLC pay-per-view now, which is nothing like the TLC matches that they used to run in, like, 99 to 2001. It's where they they try to do less tables, ladders, and chairs, but when the fans start chanting tables, they start concussing themselves. Yes. <laughs> so, it's like, I understand. I think, to an extent, they did have to start walking it back, and, yeah, at first, that was going to cause people to get, like, kind of annoyed and upset. I was one of those people initially. Mm-hmm. But I understood after a while when they would start to do like pull out old tricks again, they became even more effective all of a sudden because so many years had gone by without seeing them. It's like, holy shit, he hit him with a chair. It looked like in the head. I hope he's okay. Now you got people freaking out when that does happen when somebody does accidentally get hit in the head with a chair. Yeah, they go, you know. People are need to be held accountable, and you need to fire everybody because you could get you could turn into Chris Benoit. It's almost like we time traveled thirty years backwards now. <laughs> <laughs> so, like in a way, I think it did help to serve its purpose because, like now, if they get their head out of their asses about doing stipulation matches, you could have big moments again, and things can feel big again. You could sell a, ch- a, a headshot, by the way. You could just put your arm up and make it look like you get hit in the head. That's what they used to do. They'd throw their hand up real quick. Go back and watch anything from, like, the 80s or 90s, and 
God damn it, the only person who took straight terror shots to the head was like Mick Foley and Terry Funk <laughs> and, and like various people in ECW. Anybody from like WWF or WCW, they put their hand up. It's like, shit! And then it looked like they get hit in the head. Yeah, because it's fucking, it hurts. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to actually get hit in the head. Let them hit your, the palm of your hand. Mm-hmm. And you still make that nice smack sound. And then go down like, oh, fuck, he hit him in the head. <laughs> Roll over, cut yourself in the head. Oh, my God, he's fucking bleeding. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but uh, MJF tweeted, uh, well, time to hit the old dusty trail. Someone tell the alien chick not to get a big head. And it's him in, like, an indie uh, ring fucking elbowing her in the face. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and he's, like, night marked. Wow. But... Anyway, that's that's the last note I have for 2010. Linda McMahon, hard PG. Yeah, I guess that's where we'll stop at 2010. Uh, very jam-packed year. I think it's going to be even more jam-packed in 2011 because things start to heat up a little bit. Um, but like I said, don't expect this to be like a chain and we're going to be doing this for months and stuff. We're, we're definitely going to put other things in between these. But we want to do this decade thing because it was a pretty weird decade. It went very up and down. It did. There was lots of ups and downs. At first, it was really down. And then it got really up and then down again and then up, 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 up. And then it got good good there in the middle, I think, for a little while. And then it went down again. (laughs) Yeah. And now it's really, really down. (laughs) Besides a couple of things. But. We'll end it here. Um, make sure if you want to watch more of Getting Some Color, make sure you go to novnetwork.podme.com. Uh, we're on iTunes, Spotify, every podcasting thing out there because I've been advertising it. And uh, make sure to catch our Big Trouble Little Podcast, which we will be recording and streaming on Friday at 9 p.m. We're going to be doing a double feature of Jingle All the Way and Ernest Saves Christmas. John Cena might have a career in Ernest remakes if he plays his cards right. Yes, he kind of does look like Ernest. That's weird. He could make those faces. He could do all that shit. Like, when I was watching that movie, I'm like, oh, my God. Cena could do this. <laughs> like, he could do it. He could be the lawyer, the old the old woman. Yeah. <laughs> all right, on that note, guys, see you later. Peace out. Peace.